morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru. And today we're answering a couple of your questions and discussing something that my sister is dealing with right now, which I feel like is we've we've touched on it a bit. So um, if you haven't listened already to kids and dogs, it seemed like a good idea. <laughs> Definitely have a listen to that. But, you know, right now, my lovely sister is the mother of two amazing boys and one of them is super mobile and he's really active. And prior to her, you know, giving me a ring last night about this, she hadn't really experienced a lot of problems, but she can kind of see it materializing. You know, when she first brought her first son home, there weren't any problems. But then also there wasn't really much of a threat, you know, emotionally to the dogs. Their space wasn't really being inflicted on. And now that her son is super mobile and active, the dogs are starting to try and keep their distance. They're growling, uh, now baring teeth. And it's, it's had a consistent escalation. And one of the things that I was telling her last night, and I'm sure she's going to listen to this one, is that truthfully, you're going to see aggression surface and get amplified if there isn't a time for the dog to cool off. If there isn't a decompression period, the dog is just going to be constantly in a state of panic, emotionally, uh, mentally, and they're always waiting for the next offense. And that's really, you know, if you don't put a stop to it, that's really how a lot of bites occur. It's not that there was no warning. It's that those warnings perhaps just weren't taken seriously. And I think, you know, I was really glad that she called me because rather than waiting until a bite does occur, which it was inevitable, it was going to happen, not because she has mean dogs, but because they feel threatened and because they haven't had that time to decompress. One of the first things I said to her was, you really need to give the dogs a break because they were kind of on a three time a week cycle of showing this aggression and they are trying to be clear. You know, they're trying to set a boundary, but kids obviously can't read that boundary. And they certainly don't know that there's true danger waiting on the other side of pushing a dog because they're too young in this case. So if you or someone you know has a newly mo mobile child I'm going to give you the same advice that I gave her last night, which was, first of all, you need a little bit of distance from the problem. They need a break. You need a break. And the dogs need a feeling of security and essentially emotional detox, because without it, they're always going to be on edge. You just get into a vicious cycle that continues building and building. The other thing I said is, you know... Obviously, when you have a very young child, you can only interrupt behavior so much because especially when you have a very, very young baby, you are kind of pulled in two different directions. So since she has two dogs and she's had these two dogs for three and six years uh, or four and six years, somewhere around there, um, you know, we really kind of owe it to the animal and to ourselves to give them the benefit of the doubt. First of all, these dogs have not previously shown signs of aggression. In fact, before her son was super mobile, this wasn't an issue at all, really, you know, but the more energy he gets and, you know, he's going to do the things that most children will do. Well, they'll chase the dog or they'll poke at the dog. And 
despite your best efforts, sometimes they just need space from one another. I'm not saying get rid of the dog any more than I'm saying get rid of the kid. What I am saying, though, is it's a smart move to give everybody a break by putting up baby gates, giving the dogs a safe outlet to exit, and not allowing your child to touch the dog. Because if you've already seen escalation and, you know, it's not like she's just sitting there watching all of this go down. She is telling her son to stop. She is stopping the interaction. But that isn't enough in and of itself right now because the dogs are in such a pressure cooker situation and they're trying to give honest warnings they're like i don't like this but because a child is young and doesn't recognize the danger it's not enough to turn the kid off from messing with the dog so you know i told her to go ahead and put up some baby gates i also told her that it would be a good idea to make sure that she can give the dogs one-on-one -on -one attention from her and her husband because that's familiar. And before her children were ever born, that's what was normal for the dogs. You know, one of the things that can make a situation volatile is that children don't behave in a predictable manner. You know, where it comes when it comes to us, we do pretty much the same thing, creatures of habit, day in, day out. So a dog has essentially parameters within which they have expectations. And when you go outside the box and you have an environment change, especially when, you know, your child becomes mobile, that's when you're going to see issues arise because you're going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's going to be hard to interrupt those behaviors and it's going to be hard to head off a bad situation if you don't do some kind of management. One of the suggestions I had for her on top of making sure that there were physical barriers between the children and the dogs and a, a full two weeks of relaxation time where they can just be dogs and forget about the kids. I mean, yeah, they're going to hear the kids and see the kids, but they don't have to be fearful that the kids are going to be directly involved with their space. Uh, another thing that I had suggested to her is start having her son toss treats uh, into the dog's area while he's being supervised, not actually getting into the area or sticking fingers through the baby gate, but rather just see the person, toss the treat. Um, and getting the dog's attention by calling its name is not a bad idea. So this way, there's like a safe association. This, this way, you know, he's not going to be tempted to grab at the dog and he's not going to be tempted to chase the dog because there's already a physical barrier. And that was my first piece of advice. Now, I will tell you, when you're dealing with a family situation and a dynamic that seems like it's escalating, you need to tread lightly and you certainly don't want to rush the process. I told her I would give it a full month of doing something like that. And then perhaps every time her kids are making a lot of noise or doing something on the other side of the baby gate that could normally stress the dog out, give him a jackpot full of treats so that he starts associating that drama with something really good. I told her to keep her sessions short. In truth, the reason I made that recommendation is because not only is she a busy mom, but she also has a situation where if you add too much pressure, you're only adding more fuel to the fire. And I mentioned to her that right now her son is at an age where it's hard enough to get him to listen 
on normal things, and it has nothing to do with the kind of parent she is and everything to do with his age. So it may take quite a bit of time to start showing him and being able to successfully enforce what's okay to do with dogs and what's not. You know, she was, she was off to an excellent start teaching him how to pet the dogs. Um, she certainly doesn't let him do things that he shouldn't be doing with the dogs. But, you know, at this point, the dogs are like, I don't want this. I want them away. I don't want to deal with this. And so there, after this cooling off period is when you can start re-engaging a process, but in short segments and over a larger span of time. I mean, for me, I'm a parent and I love and adore my dogs, but if there were an aggressive situation that was in development, then it's my job to nip it in the bud when it's happening so that A, I don't ever have to pass this problem over to some other owner. And also because I, I owe it to the dog to address it. It isn't their fault. It is essentially them being subjected to something that's unsavory, that's stressing them out. And at least they're giving me that warning so that I can do something about it. I will qualify that statement by saying I, despite my life's work and, and having such a deep love for rehabilitating dogs, I do not outweigh a dog to a person. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be as committed to rectifying the situation as I would be if another person weren't involved or if a different breed were involved. What it does mean, though, is that sometimes, in very rare cases, a dog is just not suited to be around a child. And you can have the best of intentions and invest a tremendous amount of work into it, and sometimes it just can't work. Perhaps the dog is older and they're not ready for that sort of environmental shift. Perhaps they're, you know, in some way disabled and they can't, they don't have that level of tolerance. Or it could be something as simple as they just aren't kid dogs. And it's just like us, you know, not everybody is a kid person. So we have to take things seriously and be willing to make massive changes for it to actually work. Some tips that I would install immediately, especially if you have a newly mobile child, is first of all, don't let them get involved during feeding time. Do not let them near the dog's crate or the, wherever they sleep because, you know, waking a sleeping dog could be a disaster in and of itself, especially if there's a dynamic where the dog feels pressure. So, you know, those were a couple of suggestions I had for her. And, you know, she's very committed to trying to rectify the situation instead of just cut, calling it quits and finding a new place for the dogs to go because she really does have an emotional commitment and bond with these dogs. And she's seen that when her children were first born, there weren't really issues. So it's not like because the kids were there, the dogs became aggressive. It really was a situation of, okay, now the kids are mobile, they're doing annoying things, and the dog has no tolerance for it. Uh, I told her to check out that previous episode I referenced earlier because within it, I included a couple links from Sophia Yin of printouts of things that kids should do with dogs and things that kids should not do with dogs as a visual aid to throw up on the fridge and share not only with her husband, but also with her kids. So as they continue to develop and grow, she already knows what standard they're really shooting for. So this way, they're certainly not contributing to the problem. 
The other thing that I told her to keep in mind and in perspective is that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. There is no, nothing you're going to be able to fix once it starts unraveling with the snap of your fingers. I mean, it does take time and it takes a lot of commitment to the process. And, you know, I told her, you know, if you're running into issues, please contact me because we might need to tweak some things. We might need to adjust some behaviors that we're asking. And there might be some distance that needs to be created on a regular basis. I know I had one client whose dog was about 11 years old, super nice dog, a lab, um, really family oriented dog and got along fine with her son until he became mobile. And the dog's started getting irritated because her son would head over to the dog bed and try and pull at his fur. And the dog felt like there was no real relief from that dynamic. So sooner or later, he started to growl, then started to bare his teeth. And it never resulted in a bite, but it was going in that direction. And the owner knew that. So when she called me, she was like, I don't even know if we can keep this dog because my husband and I are really scared. And I validated her fear. You know, it's a healthy fear to have if you see a dog escalating, but you have to take it all in context. You know, your dog isn't naturally aggressing. He's doing it as a result of what? In the case of that lab within the family where he had never shown previous signs of aggression, I told her, I was like, have you ever had days with your child where you're exhausted, where you just want to break? I was like, that's a mutual feeling. Your dog feels that too. And if he's not given that space, that break, that area to decompress, sooner or later, the pressure cooker is going to explode. For her, I recommended giving the dog about two to three hours every day where he could just go take a nap in a familiar space that he always liked to rest in, where her son was going to be completely segregated away. And the goal here wasn't to keep distance between her son and the dog. It was to give the dog an opportunity to emotionally recuperate from the daily stress. Just like, you know, you might go and have a cup of tea or a glass of wine. Your dog doesn't have those aids. For them, a little one-on-one -on -one time with you or, you know, turning on the radio while they're laying on their favorite dog bed can serve exactly that purpose. And once you identify what those essential pain points are, then you have to go about rectifying those and creating not only a safe space for your dog, but a safe dynamic for your child. And all of it has to be age appropriate. You know, a kid isn't gonna learn at a year old how to always behave around dogs. You know, my young son has learned a lot at a young age, but I certainly, would understand if he were to make a misstep. And it's my job as not only advocate for the dog, but mom to take an authoritative role and be like, no, 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 we don't do this and show him what we can do. And perhaps have a hands-off policy for a while to give the dog a break. Intervention and management is a twofold process, but truthfully it's key in having a real solution. You can't just expect the dog to adjust. You have to do something to make that possible. You need to give breaks, options, outlets, and 
I think most importantly, educating your child on what's okay and what's not okay. And do it in an age-appropriate fashion, like I mentioned. This is not something that they can just fully understand at 18 months. And you can see aggression surface for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes the dog feels like they're being pestered. Some of them feel like they're being teased. Some of them don't want to be chased. Some of them just want their own space and for no one to enter that space because they feel like they have very little left to themselves. So you have to figure out what it is that is setting the dog off. Is it because the kid is in the room in close proximity? Is it when your child is climbing up on the couch? Does it have anything to do with feeding time? You know, I tell clients all the time that you need to make sure that when it comes to feeding time for your dog, that's a private moment for your dog, that that's his safe space. Nobody's gonna mess with his food. Nobody's gonna allow a child to mess with the dog while he's eating because that would set you off. I mean, if someone just came over and started, you know, pulling at your clothes when you're trying to have breakfast, you'd get irritated. It's a normal reaction. And there are other boundaries that you need to consider, such as, you know, when you are having feeding time with your child and, you know, say it's breakfast, lunch or dinner and your dog is wildly close to the high chair. So here's the problem with that. Sooner or later, when your child is hanging their hand off, you know, that high chair holding food, the dog is going to go for it. I mean, it's natural. I wouldn't expect a dog to have the level of self-control, especially if they're not being told to be in a certain place when your child eats or cued to do something that has nothing to do with your child, either a leave it cue or perhaps a stay on the other side of the room. If they don't have a job, they're going to do what comes naturally. And that goes for all types of aggression. For that reason and several others, I always say that when your child is eating, your dogs need to be clear of the area. Whether you create that barrier with a baby gate, whether you teach your dog a solid stay out of the kitchen or, you know, the dining room, wherever you're feeding your child, there needs to be a calm, clear, and consistent boundary there. Now, this goes for the dog that's never shown aggression, and this goes for the mom that never foresees that surfacing. But let me tell you something. If your child ever throws something off of the the high chair food-wise, your dog is going, all right, I'm going to bust around here for a minute. And sooner or later, they're going to get a little bit more brazen. And that's with the nicest of dogs. You have to be vigilant and you have to be really aware of the dynamic and the message you're sending to the dog. If you're showing the dog, okay, it's cool if you buzz around the high chair, or you're sending the message to your child that, yeah, it's okay to mess with the dog while he's eating. Sooner or later, you're going to see a situation develop that perhaps you can't intervene fast enough in. Your dog might not have a strong sense of bite inhibition, and perhaps he accidentally snaps at your child's fingers because he's trying to get the food within it. Or perhaps he starts feeling tempted and teased because, you know, your child's offering food over the side and he's pulling it up. And, you know, that drama can happen in a really short amount of time. So make sure never the two shall meet during mealtimes. Okay, so we also have a couple of questions that I want to answer today. The first one comes from Mr. Donnelly of Galway, Ireland. I'm always shocked when I find out that we have people all over the world listening because especially out in Ireland, there seem to be a lot of you. 
And he writes, my dog polices my property, and while he's good at his job, doesn't pay much attention to me or my wife. Can this be helped? Doesn't he like us? I just don't get it. Mr. Donnelly, I can identify your problem somewhat easily. While it sounds like your dog has a really strong work ethic, which is great and also super convenient when it comes to trying to manage your property, he may not really foresee the reason to foster a bond with you. So if I don't know if you're doing any of these things, but I'm just going to run off a few things that I have coming to mind. First of all, if the dog sleeps outside, there isn't that denning connection that they would typically make with an owner or a pack mate or, you know, a litter mate. There's nobody really sharing space. And for dogs, sleeping quarters can be, be very cl closely connected to a bond. So I don't know if you're doing that, but if you're not, that could be one factor. I'm not saying you have to bring the dog in, but I am saying that that could be a reason that there's a little bit of emotional distance there. The good news is, is that perhaps if that's not in the cards, there are other ways that you can bond with your dog. First of all, obviously petting them can be a bonding experience, but training can be too. You know, teaching them some basic obedience skills builds not only a good rapport between the two of you, but since there's a reward system involved, they really get motivated to be around you. They want to know what else there is to learn. They want to be engaging with you. And that can foster a, a pretty deep bond. In fact, a substantial one, depending on how much effort you really put into it. Another thing that could be at play here, I'm not entirely sure simply because you didn't mention a second dog. However, I'll throw this out there anyway. If you have another dog, they could be on what I refer to as the buddy system, where in essence, they're the providers of one another's needs, be it physical like play, emotional like physical contact or affection, or sleeping in the same space, and even working the property in tandem. This behavior can be even more prevalent in dogs who are littermates, but it isn't mutually exclusive. Littermates can have a tendency to fill one another's world up like they're magnets, and they can push you out of the running for a close bond. But that doesn't mean that you can't work on it and one can't be fostered. It can, perhaps separating them during an obedience session and get that one-on-one -on -one time with each dog, taking one or the other for a car ride, having some special family time, whatever the most reasonable process is for you, that's how you can bridge that gap. So that there is value to you that perhaps the litter mate or the buddy cannot provide. You know, they can't drive each other on a car ride. So if that's something only dad gives or only the family offers, then that's going to set you apart and bring up your value to the dog. Our last question comes from Jordan Cutley of New York City, New York, and he says, My dog of 10 years has always been great, but my partner has just moved in, and now my dog is not only avoiding him, but guarding half the house. What should I do? Before my partner moved in, he was fine, but ever since he did, it's like someone replaced my dog with a doppelganger. Please help. Hey Jordan, I'm sorry you're struggling with this, but I do have some immediate suggestions. So first of all, take into account what the interaction between your partner and this dog looks like. If you feel like your partner might be pestering the dog, that's definitely not going to make things all nicey-nice. And he's not going to get the warm and fuzzy feelings with your partner around. The other thing that's more likely uh, the problem here is a territory issue. Your dog has gotten really comfortable with you being the only man in his life, and now there's somebody else. So you need to 
encourage a certain dynamic. It's not going to just magically materialize. If your dog is showing possession over a specific space, I would start essentially herding, not hurting, herding the dog out of that space. So this way there isn't any ownership there. If you're seeing that he's kind of possessive of a specific spot on the couch, he can't be on the couch until you start seeing improvements in behavior. And then the other thing that I would recommend is start having your partner be the primary caregiver of this dog. Your partner could be the one who distributes the food, who tosses treats in the direction of your dog, who is the first one home and leashes him up and takes him on that first walk when he arrives home. And this is all assuming that you're dog and your partner have at least enough going on that he could handle the dog. Um, also take note of if you're seeing this get a little bit more volatile when you're present, ask your partner to key into, is it as bad as when you aren't present as the times that you are? Because if it is, then this is a, it's my dad and I'm not sharing sort of situation. And you know, the techniques I just listed off will help with that because right now he doesn't have much emotional investment with your partner. Only you have that. And then another suggestion is to avoid triggers. You know, if you ever notice that your partner is staring at the dog, that can be really abrasive to a dog. It can essentially tell them that there's a, a challenge coming forward and your dog already feels like his territory has been threatened for whatever reason, you know, it was fine when there were, he was a visitor, but it's different now that he feels like his place, his time, his rules. So there could be other elements at play here, which I don't assume there are, honestly, where he, there wasn't a strong boundary system before your partner moved in. So make sure you have a really solid foundation of basic obedience, a lot of cues that you can go off of so that not only you can utilize them to create a safe space and a safe dynamic between your partner and the dog, but also so that when your dog is alone with your partner, there's cues that the dog already knows that your partner can utilize, which not only helps with bonding, but it also helps with the dog understanding he is not the law in the house, that there are there's a bigger entity at play here. There, It's your home, it's your rules, and while you don't have to be combative when you're sending that message, you do have to be clear. You have to make sure that there is a constant source of feedback and that the associations that are being made between your partner and the dog are positive ones. You know, if your dog feels like every time your partner comes in, he's being bothered by him or stared at by him, more than likely, he's not going to be a huge fan of your partner, especially with the increase in amount of time that can occur because now he's here full time. The fact that your dog had a good relationship with your partner prior to him becoming a permanent fixture in the home tells me that there is hope for this. You know, it's just going to take some time and just kind of key into what could be adding to the problem. You know, like I said, staring, teasing, um, general pestering, just like it could annoy a dog that a, a child's pestering them. It can annoy, annoy them when a, an adult is doing the same thing. So make sure that your, your partner isn't doing things like, you know, barking at the dog or, you know, mimicking the dog, because that's just going to be a huge turnoff. So 
that's my suggestions on that. If you guys have any questions, you can write into the show at dogguruhereforyou at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash dogguru_podcast. We've got lots of episodes. So if you haven't, if you're new to the show and you haven't listened to them all, I have a few favorites. My One of my favorites is with Jane Miller, the psychiatric service dog trainer. Another is my dog's wolf. No, he isn't. And... On the kid topic, I always recommend listening to kids and dogs that seem like a good idea. We also had a great episode yesterday with Carrie, and we discussed her two dogs. So if you haven't given that a listen, definitely check that out. She's great, and I think you'll really find a lot of what we all can struggle with as owners. So she's very relatable. Her (laughs) situations are also relatable. So give that a listen and let us know what you think. And lastly, if you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. The higher the ratings, the more exposure we get and the more owners that we can help. So anyway, thank you everybody who's done that already. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. Namaste.